Ongyang Haseo. Welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare recs for good measure, because why not ride the Hallyu wave all the way to shore? So grab some tech bokeh and listen to your favorite unis. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hello, everyone. So I have a story based on our snack about wounded heroes. So which, first of all, it was super fun. I hope you guys liked it, too. But we're currently renovating our house a little bit to get it ready to sell. And so my husband was prying off a trim and slammed a crowbar into his shin. <laughs> and it's it's That's funny now because <laughs> he's fine. But I literally I was downstairs and I heard the thunk. Like, oh. sorry to viewers for the ground. <laughs> it was pretty bad. <laughs> I just hear this, oh, you know. So I run upstairs and it looks really bad. And it was, it was I was like the day we recorded that episode. So I was like, Oh my God, stop. I have to clean it. I, I I have to, we have to play wounded hero. And I was like getting all excited that I could like play wounded hero, but it was in real life. It was extremely sucky. I'm like covered in paint because I was painting. So I got like paint all over my fingers. He smelled like a toilet because that's what he was doing was literally like <laughs> taking out a toilet. So he smelled like pee and I'm like trying to dab at this cut that is like bleeding pretty profusely and i remember i texted amy and leah right away and i was like all right guys this is i love it in shows but i was not getting <laughs> close to this thing to blow on it like romantically <laughs> the fantasy just did not match up with the reality no, so i want to know he's fine he did go get a tetanus shot but he's fine so i think i'm gonna keep my wounded heroes in my k-dramas <laughs> and so let's all Pray for my husband's shin that he doesn't, you know, die of a staph infection. But so far, so good. Speaking of shins, <laughs> we're going to talk about Kim Shin. Excellent. Oh, excellent segue. Best segue ever. Were you thinking of that the whole time? I was not. Oh. I, seriously. Like, I want, credit, I want credit for being that quick on the draw. So yeah, we're not smart enough to script that out. Extremely witty. I'm proud of you. Well, we are back with the second part of The Goblin, a.k.a. Guardian, the Lonely and Great God Deep Dive. Today, we're going to be talking about how Lee Dong-wook crushed the role of the Grim Reaper and how death never looked quite so good. This show also took bromance to a new level and inspired at least one of your hosts to ship Kim Shin and Reaper together more than the main couple. Spoiler, that was me. This enemies to besties subplot takes them from petty one-upsmanship to self-absorbed ink sessions to banding together to use their power to save the heroine or look darn good walking home from the grocery store with a bag of leeks. Also, Goblin hasn't been without its share of controversy. We're going to look at two of the critiques leveled at the show and how we responded to them. There will be spoilers all over this discussion, so please proceed with caution. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for K-drama reviews that don't make it on the show, features of our K-Rex, behind the scenes of the show, and fun and games featuring actors, K-pop idols, and trivia. Also, don't forget to subscribe. And since we are new to podcasting, help us make our way out into the world by leaving us a short review. Last episode, we touched on the myth of the Dokubi, a.k.a. a goblin. Another character in Korean mythology is the Joseong Saja, also known as Grim Reapers. While many cultures picture Grim Reapers as malevolent agents to be feared and reviled, it appears that Koreans portray them as faithfully diligent messengers for the god of death, simply acting on their orders. More the workaholic office grunt. 
Goblin takes a little liberty with this myth by making the role of Grim Reaper a punishment for those who've ended their own lives. Note, Grim Reapers in Goblin have no memory of their previous lives and are neither part of the living nor the dead, knowing only that they once did something unforgivable. Nosung Saga is depicted in the folklore as taking a human form rather than our more Western view of a shadowy figure in a black cloak and holding a long scythe. The Grim Reaper is also usually shown wearing a black handbook and traditional Korean black hat called Gat. In Goblin, Lee Dong-wook's Reaper wears a black hat, albeit more of a fedora rather than a Gat, and one that grants him invisibility to boot. Grim Reaper was such a fun character and stole many of the scenes he was in, which was impressive as he was going toe-to-toe with such a powerful actor like Gong Yu. So let's talk Grim Reaper. What was your favorite moment with this character and why? So I think we all know by now that I am a huge Lee Dong-wook fan. I think he can convey a myriad of emotions with just an eyelid flutter. This question was extremely hard for me to narrow down because of my absolute love for LDW, as I'm calling him for short, because we are besties now. He had a lot of humorous scenes, which I found unintentional for his character because he was so awkward, but they were humorous based on what was happening. It's just he didn't think he was being humorous, but his emotional scenes really struck a chord with me. So my favorite scene was when he told Sonny, his romantic partner in the show, with his Reaper powers, to forget all the sad memories of her past so she'd forget about him. She instead remembered everything because none of the moments that she had with him were actually sad for her. And I cried so hard at that scene when she realizes that she still remembers him and everything because despite all that they'd been through, all her memories of him were precious. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think every single scene that Lee Dong-wook was in, he crushed it. And so coming at it from a Reaper lens, let's see, a couple of them that I really enjoyed were all of the super cringy attempts he had trying to date Sunny. I loved how, you know, they had all these awkward kind of like stops and starts. And then finally, like he gets it all together and goes to the coffee shop to like sit down on like an official date with her and basically is like, I'm 34 years old. My birthday is November 5th. I'm a Sagittarius. I have AB blood type, single. I live in a rental. I can access a car. And then like, you know, just like rattles it all out. Like he was like, you know, reading off a shopping list. And then finally he has this like awkward, I missed you, which is like obviously really genuine and touches her. And I feel like I was just like, kill me now with this. And I felt like she kind of was as a character as well, because like, how can you handle receiving that much adorkableness? I also really like there's a scene I was thinking about where Kim Shin and Yun Tak get back from being out and they get into like a bicker with Reaper and Yun Tak kind of steps in and does a little bit of that like protector kind of like as a joke, but like, you know, why are you picking on my Ajusi? And Kim Shin hears her say my and in his mind, he's like, oh, she said mine. He's like being all total goober, like, oh, this is so cute. And then Reaper's just like, oh, I can hear your thoughts, you cheesy goblin. And I just loved all those like really just like annoyed, exasperated little things. And then lastly, I just really also enjoyed this character, wanted a business card so bad <laughs> to the point that like at one point when he's at the police station getting like bailed out by Kim Shin and Kim Shin like pulls out his business card, Reaper like cannot even handle how jealous he is of the business card. I love that thing because he's like, what? Where'd you get one? How do I get one? (laughs) They're so petty with each other and it's so precious. But it's such a bromance. It's so, I love it so much. I also, like Lee Dong-wook, 
Megan, you realize it's more syllables to say LDW, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know, but LDW makes make it makes me feel like we're on. I know it could be like L- LD dubs. Yeah, I'm speaking informally with you have, LDW. Okay, you have we're on that level. You're at couple ring status. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we do. Yes. So I love that Reaper can make me crack up and can make me weep. And one of the crack up moments going along with the dating stuff that Leah's talking about is he doesn't have a name. He needs a name. And so when he's trying to think of a name and he's getting suggestions from, was it, was it Untak that it was giving him suggestions of like what are really great names? And like they're naming famous people like Hyun Bin, Kim Woo Bin, Gong Yu. Or I don't think Gong Yu was mentioned there. I think Gong Yu was mentioned with the fortune teller at a different point, but you know, getting meta again. And so he decides to go with Kim Woo Bin. And when Sonny is finally like, do you have a name? And he's introduces himself as Kim Woo Bin and she gives him a look, but she kind of just goes with it for a while. And it takes, you know, many episodes for her to finally be like, do you really think I believed you when you said you were Kim Woo Bin? Because Kim Woo Bin is Kim Woo Bin. So like, little- like, I'm Brad Pitt. What's up? <laughs> right. Right. So I love that because he has no idea. And I love that he's been living, not living, because we said he's not living and he's not dead, but he's been existing in the world for hundreds and hundreds of years, but has never heard of Kim Woo Bin. (laughs) So I just love that he's so detached from pop culture and what's going on out there. You know, that might even be an oversight, though, because remember he was into like, but maybe it was he's into morning melodrama, which is different than like the evening melodrama that Kim Woo Bin would be in. But there was like, remember, there was a whole other thing where he was like sucked in at like one of the shops when they were like eating soup and like, oh, that's right. That's right. But that's more like a morning show. And I do think like maybe he's just... You know, he's into that that hour of the day. <laughs> he also might not have known the actors. Like, just because he's into a drama, it doesn't mean he knows the that's actors' true. names. That's and true. we might just be overthinking it, too. Probably, but that's Absolutely, what, that's what 100%. We, that's what, what we do. do. <laughs> but my, I was going to say, I have another favorite, which is the emotional favorite. And I didn't realize it was a favorite until after it happened. Because it is when Reaper first sees Sunny on the bridge when they're both vying for the jade ring. And he just looks at her. And that one single tear pours down his beautifully sculpted face. And it's not until you know their history and you know their past lives and their connection and him being the king and her being the princess and what happened between them and all of that, that you go back to that scene and and realize how beautiful and how powerful that is that even though he has no memory of her, his heart remembers. And that... And that was just when I watched the drama a second time, because yes, I went all the way through even episode 16, Leah, when I watched the drama a second time and that scene came up like that just hit me in all of my feels because I knew what it meant. And it was just so beautiful. Once you learn the backstory of Reaper and what he did as Wang Yo, how did that change how you viewed the character and his arc? Were you satisfied with his story? So this is one place where I thought the show did a really good job, because by the time you know his backstory, you already are very sympathetic towards Reaper. And he's shown that as Reaper, I mean, he is a grim Reaper, but yet he's shown that he has heart, that he is caring. So by the time they explain his sin in history, you're you're sympathetic. You still want to root for him. So despite that I hated, I absolutely hated what he did in his past. The show did a good job at making someone else the villain. So we could continue to be sympathetic towards Reaper because the actual villain was his right-hand man back in the Goryeo dynasty. And his name was Park Jun Hun. I loved Reaper's arc because he came to realize that he was always loved because that was sort of his issue back then. He didn't think anyone cared about him. He thought he was abandoned by his older brother. And so once he 
became a reaper, then he understood he had friends. He had Untak, he had Goblin, and then he had Sunny. So he suffered a lot as reaper to make up for what he did, and yet he was still loved. Yeah, I mean, for me, like in real life, Wang Yo, you know, yes, he was a victim and was manipulated. He still sucked, murdered just everybody, <laughs> like killed his true love, and he paid the price. So in real life, like, yeah, I probably wouldn't come back around to Wang Yo. And actually, I, I fully agreed with Sunny that he'd done enough that I agree with her decision to kind of peace out on him in this life once she realizes who he is, while still keeping the door open for like the future. However, we're speaking fictionally here. And I think this is going to be like a theme that's going to come up again and again in this particular drama of like what I think in real life versus what I think in goblin life is very different. So in this case, he's that poor little rich boy archetype, right? He is big brother was meant to be the king he dies he has this like you know twisted minister who kind of like pits him against everyone he has a chance to fall in love with like the beautiful princess really just screws everything up and just has like all the inner boo-boos and i am like an inner boo-boo fan as you know we've established (laughs) so you know he was just a mess of boo-boos and by the time like he was like to the point where he was ready to like end his life and he's just like wandering around in like some sort of like stupor just like sobbing as the king and you know just like it's just a mess like yeah okay i like i felt for him but at the same time i you know you still can't forget that yeah you still killed a lot of people buddy yeah and i mean he put an arrow in her like his true love's heart was just like you know that's like so i think yes i hated it I think that he did pay a price. He didn't get to have happiness right away. Like he he didn't even get to have happiness kind of in like when he found Sunny in her life, but they left the door open that he did make up for it and make amends. So I can live with that. I love that you bring up the idea of real life and goblin life because yeah, I think in real life, if I knew that somebody had murdered thousands of people, <laughs> that it would probably be, I'd probably be a little remiss to have any sort of connection with them, but this isn't real life. This is goblin life. So I like that. I'm going to talk in terms of goblin life. And I'm going to agree with both of you on a, on a lot of points here. Reaper is Wang Yo was awful, but he was also lonely and misguided by Park Jung Hung, right? He misguided and manipulated. It's no excuse for him murdering everyone who made him feel less than, but on the same token, I felt for him. And like Megan said, because we already knew him for so long as Reaper and we, there's no way you can not be in love with Reaper, that you are rooting for him. But like as Wang Yo, he grew up being manipulated. And by the time he was barely a grown-up king, his way of thinking had been so twisted that he truly believed that Kim Shin and Kim Sun were his enemies, when in reality, they were the only ones who truly loved him. So on that note, I love that Reaper was given an arc where he could come to terms with his sins and partially repay Kim Shin for the love that he'd been given by helping him, you know, save Jiyun Tak and, and by showing him love and by keeping her for as long as he could from her fate as the miscellaneously omitted person. I love that he got to be reborn and was offered yet another chance with Sunny to be happy and to be loved and to be able to give love. So I do like his arc and it came full circle for me. And in Goblin Life, I I totally am there for him getting that chance again to have love. In Reaper's Tea Room, he offers a tea that lets the person drink to forget their life so that they can move on. Would you drink the tea if offered or would you refuse it? So I did think a lot about this question, but look, I'm a Pisces, like Pisces through and through. I am emotionally fragile on a good day. So letting me constantly remember things from my past life in a way that 
I would miss. Like I would miss what happened in my last life. I would feel incredible sadness. The fact that I wasn't there anymore and it wasn't the same people. Like I I kept thinking about how hard it was for Kim Shin to continually lose all the caretakers in his life. The scene where he was crying over the older man CEO. Oh my gosh, that broke me. And I just kept thinking, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I'm equipped to mourn that many people. So I guess for that reason, I think I would drink the tea to forget. That's why you need the hobbies, Megan. Okay. <laughs> I need the hobbies to forget my grief. Gargoyles. Gargoyles will get you through everything. Right? So, so for me, I think, again, I have caveats. I would drink it to forget. But I would like to think that like there were some lessons from, you know, this life or my previous lives that stick with me because I don't see how I would like learn and grow in my next life if I didn't have some of that. But I also don't think I could learn and grow in my next life if I was still bogged down with all of my memories. And an extra caveat would be unless I had Goblin waiting for me in my next life. And in that case, you know, I'd be willing to do anything from crawling across a snowdrift mountainside for eight years with God basically being like, hey, you're still there? Well, okay. And, you know, wandering around in the wasteland, because if that was my reward for all of that, I would remember. But otherwise, I'm happy to forget. So I'm the only one who said no, that I wouldn't drink it. I think part of it, and it's going to what you're saying, Leah, is this idea that I think I still have so much to learn. And I think I've done some things really well in this life so far, which I hope I still have a ways to go. I think I've done some things really well, but I also think there's a lot that I need to learn from. And I don't know if you get to pick and choose. And if you don't get to pick and choose, then I want to remember so that I can learn from it. Unless there's that sort of idea that somewhere in you, you know, even if you don't remember the actual events, that when you have that sort of deja vu moment, that you understand you're supposed to make a different decision this time. But I don't know if I would be that quick on the uptake like I was with the whole shin, the whole shin thing. <laughs> so I can give you a, a little, you know, quippy uh, comeback there. But I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I, I need to know what I did wrong and what I did well to be able to do better in the next life if that's an option. So yeah, I would say no to that tea and see where it took me. Okay, I wouldn't take the tea if my cat was waiting for me. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, so the tea scene. Can I just say the tea scene that had the blind man and his dog was waiting for him? Happy. Happy. And Grim Reaper said, Happy will show you the way. I am telling you how hard (laughs) I cried. I and and that was also when I was like, I'm all in on this tea room. I love the tea room scenes. I thought they really gave a lot of heart to the show. So if like my Simone was waiting for me on the other side of the door, then Screw the tea. I'm all in. So even, okay, and this kind of goes to the next question. So whether or not I would drink the tea kind of goes with my answer to the next question, which I'll, I'll wait and let you two answer first. But Goblin also talks about this idea that we have four different lives. We start out, our first one is where we sow. The second one waters. The third one reaps. And the last one consumes. From a king to a handmaiden, the rewards and punishments for their previous lives all took place in their next lives. So which life do you think you're in if this is the case? That part of the dialogue, I actually had to pause at the end of that scene and just sit there and think about that because I I honestly had never heard that four lives thing. And I actually would like to do some more research if that's kind of like a common belief in, in Korea. So I've always believed that there are people who, you know, we have they have old souls. And I've always thought that that is a term 
to me to describe that they've had previous lives. For example, I think my son is probably on one of his last lives. He is such an old soul in, in everything he does. There's just this sort of depth to the way he sees things that to me feels like he has some like inner knowledge. I don't know how to how else to explain it. I That's why I can only really say he has an old soul. Whereas I think my daughter is absolutely in her first life. She has literally no idea what's going on around her at all times. <laughs> and she has this like flighty everything's brand new quality to her it's that's again also kind of hard to explain and I think I'm a little similar to her I feel like I'm maybe watering my life right now I feel like I sowed it you know last life and now I'm watering it and I'm getting there and hopefully I don't f this up and I (laughs) reap some shit (laughs) next life I'm trying and end up being a shrimp (laughs) (laughs) end up being a shrimp or I don't know I would love to be a cat if anyone's listening that grants lives. <laughs> I'll be a cat. For me, I'd say that I'm probably a two. I'd like to think that I'm at the water stage. I don't feel like I'm a totally brand new life, but I also don't feel like I'm at the end of it. Or if I am, then I feel like that's pretty underwhelming from a term of personal growth. So I'd like <laughs> to think that I've got some more to get to as in real life, not goblin life. I don't really discount the idea of past lives. And I do sometimes have feelings like I've been around before and that I'm a little wiser from it. But I definitely feel like I would like more wisdom. I still feel like I'm figuring it out. So I don't know. I think I might be at the beginning because I like I said, I feel like there's a lot that I've done well, but there's a lot that I haven't done right, I would say. And I, you know, at this point in my life, I feel like I still have a lot to figure out to be where I'm reaping. So I don't think that my next life would be reaping it. I think I'd, I'd be watering the next life because I'd get some things that I got wrong in this one right in the next one and then hopefully get to reap. So I don't know if that's good or bad. Does that make me just super unwise? Possibly. But I do think that we gain wisdom in each life. And I do think that wherever my soul goes in the next life, that whatever that being is, unless it's a shrimp, or I am kind of afraid it might be a spider and I'll live for like 30 seconds. But I think whatever being I am in that next life will hopefully have a little bit more wisdom than I do this time around. I think I'd like to come back as a human. I feel like maybe for my last life, I would take the cat option, Megan, because by then I think I'm just, I'm out, I'm done. I just want to relax. Like I've got it all figured out. I'm just going to sleep in the ray of sunlight that's hit that one stair where my cat is every morning and just sleep all day. I will say just from what I I know about you, I've known you now for several years. I do think you're still sewing. I feel like you are very much a sponge. (laughs) I know. You're very much like a sponge. Like you love to collect information and you're like a lover of knowledge. I mean, Aunt Leah is too, but you're like in a different She's way. She's a lover of gargoyle knowledge. I don't know. Yeah, I just, so, I don't know. I believe it. So just, but I will say, don't come back to life as a stink bug in my house because I killed like three just in this room yesterday. <laughs> Oh, do you guys have stink bugs where you are? Yes. No. If you, I, you don't even want to, you don't want to get me started okay. on stink bugs because off the podcast, I'll tell you my stink bug stories because okay. yeah, I killed one on the, on a podcast one time. Yeah. I had to mute myself and kill a stink bug. You can't then, kill them inside that stinks up your room. Well, I like crush it and then <gasps> I, I, I will, I know, but I went and put it in the toilet then. then I, I was going to say, so they're, they're so dumb and slow. I have a cup and I just scoop it into a cup. And then dump it in the toilet and flush it. And there's no, I mean, because you scoop it into the cup, even though they can fly, they don't know when they're at the bottom of a cup that they can fly. They are. They're so stupid. Well, well, so I, maybe I flushed someone's like last life. I hope not. 
I mean, they had done a lot bad if their last life was a stink bug, right? Yeah. I feel like we should be getting more opportunities in our future lives so that if I were to come back as a spider, that means like I effed some shit up. Yeah, like I, oh, I then here's the you thing know? though. Here's the thing is that are we denying spiders like agency then? Because we're really projecting like our human values on like the inherent worth of the spider here. No, I I'm actually not, really I'm like not, spiders. I'm not projecting right spider's agency what i'm saying is <laughs> my experience is let's get into some spider philosophy folks okay i don't care what you say i hate stink bugs and they deserve to i be hate them judged. too oh i agree no i will save any insect that i can in my house except a stink bug and a spider if it's really fast because that freaks me out because i'm afraid if i scoop it into my my bug cup that it's gonna crawl right up my arm and then lay eggs in my skin and then Things will happen. My bug cup. Oh my God. I think I was really too harsh on God last episode where I was like, oh, I'm such a jerk. You know, now like thinking about this and like listening to this discussion, I'm like, you know, all beings have value. All beings my have value. But the reason, why, the reason why I'm afraid of coming back as a bug is I'm afraid someone's going to squish me because they're going to feel the way about bugs that I do. That's my fear. It's not that I think spiders suck. <laughs> It's that I don't want to only expected today to go. (laughs) I just don't want to have a short second life because I'm a spider in someone's house like my own and they dump me in the toilet and I can't swim. (laughs) You wouldn't get a chance to so much in that case. No. (laughs) Moving on. Moving on. (laughs) I'm not sure if Grim Reaper would be as epic if he was played by anyone other than Lee Dong-wook. So what were some choices that Lee Dong-wook made that seemed to really work in terms of defining his character as Reaper? So one thing that struck me at the beginning was he was so stiff. And at first I thought it was the first role I'd seen him in. So I was kind of like, why is he so stiff? That kind of bothers me. Like, can we have some animation here? But then as the role went on, I realized, no, that's literally the whole point. He's supposed to be this like stiff Grim Reaper that doesn't really move his face a lot. But then once we got into the meat of his character, I mean, how long do you have? Because literally everything he did was perfection. His eyes, like he can convey so much just through a stare. His little chin wobble, when uh, his pretty cry, and his like angsty, longing stare. Like he could just stare at Sunny and you could like feel all the like angsty inner loving pain he had and I was all in. So just everything he did, I thought he solidly nailed this role. Yeah, I think he does like that deadpan monotone voice really well. And also the deadpan humor. He like plays that like a fiddle. And I felt like Gong Yu approached Kim Shin's character with kind of this like very hilarious, like melodramatic, sometimes hypochondriac deity who whenever he tries to be cool, really just cannot be like, remember that whole montage where like, you know, he figured out he was getting summoned and then he would like come into Reaper's bedroom and be like, here I am with my massive painting. Like what happens if she summons me and I'm carrying this or like, you know, the records. And that's when like Reaper's like, ugh, the kids listen to files these days. So I felt like, you know, like there was a lot kind of coming from like the Gong Yu side, not overacting, just like kind of like that big personality. And Reaper kind of like what Lee Dong Wook brought to it was kind of like to play off of that, he like buttoned down and it gave him like this appearance of like sometimes just being a little bit like cooler 
But then what I liked is that to offset that kind of like cooler vibe, you'd see him walk around. Like he always had like those tiny drinks with the tiny straws that he was like, oh, I got him. <laughs> and I really loved like the tiny drink things. I liked how he watched the morning melodramas. And then obviously this was more the character than him, but I thought he just like projected it really well. Like the whole thing about like getting Sonny's phone number and like needing to make the call. And like you see the nephew, Diakwa, and like Kim Shin come in and be like, ooh, you got the girl's number. Like, did she kiss it? Or is that you kissing it? Like, and then like Goblin basically all of a sudden just like picks up the phone, like straight up calls her. And I just love that action of like Lee Dong Wook was to like smack the phone like he's in middle school, like, ah, away. Cause I felt like that was my signature, like middle school thing to do was, you know, or like high school. <laughs> And would be, oh, should I call the guy? Should I not? And then like your friend calling and then being like, oh my God, like you called him. And then I also really liked all the ways he would like did his voice to say hello, like hello, hello. Hi. Because when I was in high school, too, a little fact about me is I would draft scripts and talking points before calling the boys that I like. Zero surprise. Zero surprise. <laughs> and so I would have like very long lists of questions because I dreaded awkward silence and thinking on the spot. So, you know, I'd be like, what's your favorite? I don't know like you know sometimes they were probably cool questions sometimes they were probably dorky but I think that's why I resonate with this is like I was such a dork and just like the fact that he brought that dorkiness to Reaper really like appealed to me and I also just love the music like whenever he showed up again not like that wasn't a lead on Wook choice but you know that like funeral music that would show up when like Reaper entered a scene sometimes oh I just love that every time what I love about this sort of adorableness of him is it was also somehow super cool, right? Mm -hmm. Like there was this inherent coolness about him. And especially after having seen him now as Leon in Tale of the Nine-Tailed and what a different character he is and the range of his acting, I loved that subtlety that he brought to Reaper, that he was playing it like so the straight-laced, not a lot of expression but on purpose. And it worked because then any little thing that you got from him was almost like magnanimous, mm -hmm. you know, because, because he was emoting, because he was expressing, you know, that like, I go back to that cry on the bridge with Sonny, that one tear, like his face doesn't even change. Just that tear streams down and that beautiful cry, like Megan was saying, like such a pretty cry, like he doesn't have an ugly cry. Plus we know that there's tons of people on the set, like fixing his makeup and whatever and keeping him beautiful. But like still, even with the chin wobble and all of that, like he still is this beautiful specimen of a human when he's emoting. And so I loved that about him. But yeah, I think that subtlety that he played the whole way through. And then we finally get to see him as grown up morning Wang Yo back in the past. And he is just a mess. And, and such a mess. Like, like such a mess, mess. But I like, loved act, it. Like, acting mustache. Oh my yeah. gosh. But I loved it. Like I was, I would text Leah and I'd be like, is it bad that I think Lee Dong Wook when he's Wang Yo and like totally losing his mind is the sexiest thing I've ever seen? Like I just loved it. <laughs> What's the, nothing wrong with that. Can we discuss that mustache a little bit? Because I have issues. <laughs> like <laughs> that Who was applied it. Who decided that, that was the prop to use? That was one scraggly mustache. <laughs> like, like not only did they like have give give uh Wang Yo the like worst backstory ever, but they couldn't even like give him the dignity of a proper mustache. <laughs> I think I mean, it was like, a, no I think it was a metaphor. Yeah, no offense. <laughs> like if that's what you're coming with, like I get it. <laughs> 
But like I, I <laughs> they could have shaved it. We just we just need we just need one we need like one scene to be thrown in there of grown up Wang Yo just kind of grooming that scraggly stash. <laughs> My contact is falling out. <laughs> All right, moving on yet again. We've gone from spiders to stashes this episode. Spider stink bugs and scraggly stashes. That's what we're like. If that's what you're coming with, like, you don't want to offend anyone. Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to deny his authentic, his authentic mustache expression, but. Okay, I'm going to take a breath here. Okay, so it is now time for our favorite part of the episode it is our k wreck of the week and today we've got amy and i am going to be making another k merch wreck of the week and today i'm taking our listeners and followers to redbubble for my most recent k merchandise purchase if you're not familiar with redbubble it's an e-commerce site that lets independent artists upload their designs and redbubble prints and creates those designs and thereby share some of the profit with the artist but it cuts off some of the overhead for the artist as well so folks i found it my favorite new purchase the Redbubble artist's name is Maeve Jane, and she has captured one of my favorite scenes from Goblin when Kim Shin and Reaper go to save Untak from being kidnapped by her aunt's loan sharks, and they do the slow walk down the dark yet somehow wonderfully backlit and fog-filled street on their way to save her. Maeve Jane has captured this image and put it on what will now be my favorite tote bag for all time. We'll post a picture in our Insta at Afternoon and Delight Podcast, so make sure to stop by and take a look. And then head on over to Redbubble if you want one for yourself, because I'm keeping mine. And just a reminder that our recommendations are not sponsored. These are just things that we love that we want to share with you. So if you are looking to carry Kim Shin and Reaper around with you every day, all the time, like I want to, now you can have a bag just like mine. So Goblin is not without controversy. On today's show, we want to talk through two valid criticisms that often get leveled at the show and decide if they are deal breakers or not. Kim Shin is almost a thousand-year-old immortal with incredible power and resembles a mid-to-late 30s man. Ji Eun-tak is a 19-year-old orphan that's fated to be his bride. The age difference? Is it a deal breaker or not? And why? When I first read the description of the show, I'll admit that it gave me pause. But Leah had already started watching it, and she assured me that the issue was dealt with really well, and I trusted her. And I agree that it was. Kim Shin never crossed a line with Jiyun Tak before she was 20, which was when she was considered a legal adult. And even then, it was just a kiss. I saw it more of a guardian-ward relationship for the first part of their relationship, and it was very endearing to me, especially since Eun Tak had no one looking out for her for the past 10 years. And now she has a goblin and a reaper and also Sunny. So it's also this sort of, oh, and, and Delcroix too. So we're not going to forget Delcroix because I, I feel like he gets left out some of the time. And so really I saw the high school part of the drama as a found family story for all the characters. And the true romance really came, spoiler alert, 10 years later when we go to Untak when she's 29. And it paid off. I feel. So no, not a deal breaker for me if it's dealt with in a sensitive way. And I truly believe that the goblin creators did this. So again, we have real life and we have goblin life. And (laughs) I feel like in real life, like, yeah, a 19 year old paired up with like a 936 year old, like, no, probably not. Like I would not give that a thumbs up, but in fiction, 
Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes to ward guardian tropes. Let me live in that problematic house with all the repressed feelings and the longing and the angst. And ward guardian is a trope that was really mostly seen in historical romance where there's this older hero, younger heroine, and the older hero is in more of like a guardian caretaker role. Yes, yes, it is problematic. It is taboo, but that's exactly what makes it sort of awesome. And so this is like a little rabbit hole that I need to get into for just a second, because when I think about it, like what makes this like kind of like taboo, like big age difference, ward guardian thing, like forbidden erotic. And I think it has to do like, I'm positing that it has to do with the fact that like sometimes bad feels a little good. And it's then tied up to shame and like feeling good about the bad. And then like you take that shame and you like stuff it somewhere down deep inside of you. But like, it's also like got like a woohoo, like I like this part to it. And then like, you also just like take a stick of dynamite and like light it. And then it's all inside of you, like burning in a way that feels good. So yeah, if given the choice, like I prefer like that mental, like, ah, like I don't know what to do with this. And I love it. And so, and I just love the fact that like Kim Shin's here at this time where like he's ready to shuffle off his mortal coil. He's been around almost a thousand years, but then here's this like feisty girl in a schoolgirl uniform, basically like destroying his defenses. But like in this case, the fact that like she makes him want to live, but her appearance is going to like guarantee his death. And this all hinges on the fact that I think they did an amazing job of the fact that like he does not like perv out on her. And so I want all of this like kind of like falling in love and I don't mind the age difference and I kind of like all that stuff but like I also didn't want him just to be because I feel like sometimes I'll see in like romance novels too somebody being like "Ooh, I've done this like ward guardian or you know kind of like dubious book and like uh but it's like ends up just being like gross whereas like I feel like what I'm looking for is not so much like the physicality of it I'm looking for the like the mind meld of it so I really felt like they fell in love I thought like there was epic kissing in this and I don't know what Goblin does, like why he decides that when he's going to kiss someone, he's going to kind of like run at them like a linebacker or something, but he does, he does some sort of like running, grabbing, pulling kiss move. And it just wrecks me every time. I want to add one quick thing to, to my being okay with this is that obviously we're in fiction because I give a pass to this sort of a situation when we're talking about one of them being a supernatural being. Because it would be one thing if Kim Shin looked like he was almost a thousand years old. (laughs) I mean, come on. I would feel a little bit different if he, you know, if he was a rotting corpse. But he's (laughs) like, what do you look like when you're a thousand years old? A mummy? A mummy? I don't know. I don't know. But I think, you know, that's what makes me give a pass on that because I read a lot of fantasy and paranormal and I never think twice about, you know, a supernatural being like, let's say a vampire being hundreds of years old and falling in love with a teenager, you know, if we're talking about if we want to go the Twilight route, you know, which we've brought up Twilight before here and that's fine. But yeah, I, I, I give a pass when there's a supernatural being because to me, that person is ageless even though they've been gaining wisdom for a long time. But yeah, when when they stay looking the same and we don't see that aging, and, and even though in real life the two actors are a number of years apart, I give a pass when there is one of them who is supernatural. And just one last thing just to cap this off again, and I guess I'm just disclaiming myself all over the board here, but is the fact that like, okay, I don't know why 
Goblin, Kim Shin, like, never seemed to, like, get with anyone in his a thousand years looking the way he did. But apparently he didn't really. Like, this is, like, he's never really been in love before. So I think, like, the fact that they kind of, like, went with that, too, it wasn't like he'd gone through, like, all this, like, debauchery or anything. Like, he... Like, he was basically just completely clueless when it came to, like, falling in love. It had, like, a real childlike innocence with, like, how they worked that story out. So, for me, it never hit me in a yucky place. It only hit me in, like, the best of places. Yeah, so... This is where I differ from Amy and Leah when I watch this. And this is kind of why I couldn't go all in on the show. But I actually love word guardian romances. I love them. I didn't think the age difference was in any way done. I thought it was done great. I thought they handled it really well. Again, I agree with Leah in saying that Kong, you almost had this like teenage innocence when it came to how he interacted with her. So that wasn't the age difference wasn't my issue. Well, it was, but it wasn't because I thought it was icky. It was because I couldn't. (laughs) This is what's hard for me is I felt like the pacing of the show for me didn't work in regards to the romance of Goblin and of Kim Shin and Ji Tak. So the main reason is because, I mean, 75% of the show, she's in a schoolgirl's uniform and it's fine. She looked adorable, but, and she acted like a teenager. Like, and honestly, the actress did a fantastic job. She acted like a teenager, even though she's like 28 or 29 or something in real life. But because of that, see, the show couldn't really give sexual attention because she's not an adult. But because of that, because there was no sexual tension for like 75% of the show, I wasn't all in. I did feel that they had a connection. I did feel they were soulmates. I just didn't feel it in a romantic way. I didn't feel any romantic chemistry. I really thought, I really viewed them as a guardian ward relationship, which, I mean, makes sense. That's literally the title of the show. So to me, it was still okay. Like, I still enjoyed their arc. I still thought it made sense. I just couldn't be all in on the romance like i could say with reaper and sunny reaper and sunny i felt because they're both adults and also they have like a backstory but still i felt like the sexual tension there i mean when they kissed they had like the whole head tilt and everything so anyway i i did think geontech and goblin belong together i just still sort of felt like they were friends like even at the end when they were like when she even when she was an adult again that was the very end of the show i don't know how many episodes it was but it was still the very end and to me, I like they were like lying in bed together and I was like, oh, a sleepover. Like they were like giggling under the covers. Like it didn't feel to me like they even the wedding scene. I was like, well, that's cool. Like I couldn't like see them as a couple. I just couldn't. And that probably is a me thing. So I and I, that's the thing. I don't think the show did anything wrong because I love the show. I just think for me, I couldn't I couldn't get into the to the romantic aspect of their relationship because i didn't feel sexual tension i don't know what that says about me but that's how i felt so i really would like to see gong Yu in another role like i really want to watch coffee prince because i want to see him with another female lead to see what kind of sexual chemistry he can create with another character so well, again that Prince was- is a whole other like yeah that's not like a straight romance either we don't have to get into that but okay well i don't you know that's i don't know and that was the only that was the issue where i didn't feel like i could be like 
I'm all in because I didn't feel all in. I like Kim Shin. I thought he was like a decent dude. But again, I didn't see him as like a romantic lead. And so I know that's to me because I, like, know it's I can't. No, no, no. I don't think it's crazy. I think there's other people who feel this way, certainly. And you've had things that have hit you super hard that have just left me completely stone cold. So again, this is like what's great about romance and like how we come to these stories because like there's kind of something for everyone. Right, because I don't think either of our interpretations are wrong. Like, no. I think this is a total taste thing. And, it, and sure. it's based on what kind of romance novels I like or whatever, the kind of tropes I like. Like I said, I love Word Guardian. I lo- I always love Word Guardian when, like, they're sort of at the, the end of their Word Guardian relationship. So maybe he no longer has to take care of her or something like that. And that's when they then she's an adult and they act on their sexual tension or whatever. But I always want the actual adult portion to be the majority of the story. And again, that's why the pacing didn't work for me, but only in regards to the romance. Like, that's the thing. There's so much more going on in that show than just their romance so everything else worked for me you know it's hard i feel like i hear it and i like see what you're saying and i also 100 percent disagree to like our listeners out there that i feel like it's it's probably the best for me i have not yet had a romance in a k-drama that's hit me on like a more impactful level and i think at this point like still goblin is my pinnacle romance mine too so that's why i think it's like really just like really interesting that like kind of did like leave you cold to some degree whereas yeah like amy is agreed to like i put it even above chloe i think i do too and it's really hard to do that because chloe and goblin so far the only one that i've rewatched immediately after watching it a first time and i didn't think that there was anything that could match chloe which is why i watched it twice and then i watched goblin and i like blown away like i I feel like goblin's number one and Chloe is number 1.5, you know, kind of thing. Like, it's not that far off from being my number one. But yeah, there is just something about I didn't need the sexual tension because I thought that it was such a long, slow burn of a love story. And I didn't know that I loved that until I saw this. You know what I mean? Like, in Chloe, there is tension there all the time because they are both adults and they are both these two beautiful people who you know should be together and can't. And there's all sorts of different conflict and tension there. And yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't know that I liked this type of slow burn until I saw it. Yeah, I remember watching it. And I remember saying to you guys, okay, okay, this is a slow burn. Okay. And then the slow burn kept going with her in a schoolgirl's uniform. <laughs> Still <laughs> with the freaking bow tie. And I just couldn't do it. I, could, I was like, when are we going to get? Because I loved adult Giantak. Loved her so much and i just wish the show had had way more adult geontech and i don't know how they would have altered the show to make that work but again for the romance that is personally what i needed and and again so because it's i feel like it is hard for me to explain the nuance of what i'm talking about because i don't think the show was creepy in any sort of way i thought they handled the relationship between her and Kim Shin when she was still a teenager, they handled it great again, but that's just why I didn't, I didn't feel like even by the end, I was like, Oh, she's just, you know, that's like her best friend. That's the guy who like saved her and yada, yada, yada. And she lived with him like they're best buds. (laughs) I feel like we watched two different shows. I know, (laughs) know, but then, but I always have felt like my tastes sometimes can be, I don't know. I always felt like sometimes with romance books, too, I differed from you guys. But that's kind of why this is fun is because we'll get 
into it in next episode, but we also had diff- way differing opinions on Tale of the Ninetale too. And but I think that's kind of fun because we can have discussions like this. And maybe I, I'd really be interested to hear anyone who's listening if anyone agrees with me. <laughs> Because most people I know are like, they all in on Goblin, all in on Kim Shin. And like I said, I still don't, I did not see him as a romantic lead in it. I know that sounds crazy, but that's no, I don't I think, I just think it's just, I, my brain doesn't compute it, but you know right. what? I think we still have a lot to get through. And Megan, I just, all I can say is like, I'm sorry that you don't <laughs> have the love for Kim Shin in your heart. And that's okay. That's okay. It's more, angry. It's more for me. I still I'm reconsidering. Lo- I'm reconsidering our friendship. Right? Are you going to kick me off the podcast? Yeah, total. Like we'll talk about that later. Well, I can say that obviously I still love the show, and I'm I'm super enjoying talking about it. It's not that I didn't like the show, because again, I feel like that was only one aspect of a very fantastic show that had a lot of layers to it. Okay, so moving on, the second valid criticism, Goblin also gets dinged for playing into the Cinderella trope. We've got Jiyeon Tak as a damsel in distress whose life only improves after her knight in shining armor saves her. Also, Cinderella's life positively changes after her interaction with the prince. The prince is the one who saves her from her torturous life where she is forced to do awful chores and is treated horribly by her stepfamily. So there are lots of Cinderella moments in Goblin. Does this bother you? Do you prefer more independent, strong female leads? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I didn't mind it in this one because I don't think that Jiyun Tech was given zero agency. Even the time that she was being treated terribly and abused by her aunt and and cousins and whatever, she still was strong. She still was getting stuff done and she still was taking care of herself because nobody else was taking care of her. Now, yes, when it came to the Grim Reaper showing up and wanting to collect his miscellaneously omitted person. And then Kim Shin stepped in. Sure, he's saving her there. Absolutely. But I don't think that she had zero agency. And I don't think that, yeah, I don't know. I think tropes are tropes because they work. And we're going to talk about tropes in a snack or something, because I know we need to talk more about like what tropes are. But tropes are basically plot devices that get used over and over again and become conventional because they work so well. And so we've seen the Cinderella story done over and over again. But when I think about the actual sort of Disney Cinderella, I think of this girl who didn't get to make any of her own decisions at all. Even like her fairy godmother was like, nope, you're going to go to the ball and you're going to wear this and you're going to be home by midnight and all of this. So everybody took control of her life. And even though she had her quote unquote, you know, happily ever after, none of it was her doing. I do think that June Tech does get to take agency of her own happily ever after and do it her way. And it comes at a great expense at some point in the story because it comes at her having to leave Kim Shin. She decides to put her life on the line to save a bus full of children and making that split second decision to do something utterly selfless that she knew would end her happiness for now. But that was her own decision and that was her agency. And so I think when it came down to it, because the whole story was about, is she going to live or is she going to die? She was supposed to die when she, you know, she was never supposed to be born. And every nine years, something's going to happen and you're going to, you know, your life's going to be in danger because you were never supposed to be here. And so even though that was sort of her fate and her destiny, she got to make that decision. And so, yes, even though there was a lot of protection going on and we had the guardian ward situation, I do think that in the end, she had agency to choose the direction of her life. And that made it work for me. So I I actually really do like the Cinderella trope, but I didn't get that feeling uh, out of this show really at all. I really like Geontalk as a lead. 
I thought she was really resilient. I thought she had a lot of agency. Even when Kim Shin would help her, she it was still always done on her terms, uh, in my opinion. So I never really saw her as a constant damsel in distress, despite all the trials and tribulations she had as a child. She took care of herself when no one else did. And I loved how she took care of Kim Shin. I mean, it was a little crazy to me that he was, what, a thousand years old and there were so many things that he didn't seem to be able to do for himself or didn't understand about humans. Maybe he forgot that since he'd been human. I I don't know. And I really felt like she reminded him again what it was like to be human. And in my opinion, she protects him as much as he protects her. So I didn't feel that this was cinderella e even though I wouldn't have minded it. I really, really loved the way her character was handled. And yeah, I would say that like in contemporary romance, a Cinderella trope isn't really my fave, but Goblin's not contemporary romance. So in this kind of like mashup of romantic, fantasy, paranormal, it didn't bother me at all. I do consider it to be definitely leaning on the Cinderella trope, just down to even like the fact she's like an orphan with like, you know, the evil aunt and cousins. And then like being kind of like eventually whisked away to this not castle, but like super sweet house in the middle of Seoul with all the candles and you know there's like that fantasy element kind of to it and so I mean like yeah I don't think it's like a plot point by plot point Cinderella like retelling but I think it definitely like touches on that but again I felt like you know she did have agency and she was really sassy and feisty and also I think what helps with this to me is that the prince aka like Kim Shin the goblin he you know, yes, he's like all powerful in terms of like sheer magical ability, I suppose. But, you know, I keep coming back to this word over and over, but it just sums up like all the dudes in the show, which were they were all emotional goobers. And so like, I don't feel like he was in this position of like princely power in that sense, because I felt like, you know, he was just kind of figuring out so much too that like, I never felt like I felt like in that case, like they really grew together emotionally. The three main female leads in this show are Jiyun Tak, the orphan human with a feisty spirit, Sunny, the cool but mysterious chicken shop owner with a tragic past as a Goryeo princess, and Sam Shin, the goddess of birth and rebirth. All these female characters have different levels of agency and power. Which of them resonated with you the most and why? So I'm going to go back to Jiyun Tak again, and not because I can relate to a terrible upbringing. I'm going to, you know, hi, mom and dad, everything was fine. But because of her resiliency that you brought up, Megan, and by my standards, I have not had a rough life, but it's also not always a walk in the park. And I like seeing women triumph over hardship and tragedy. I like seeing women portrayed as strong and able to do as much for the hero as the hero can do for them. Like, sure, Kim Shin is immortal and powerful in physical ways. And okay, he can he can lose it emotionally like he did in the tea house. But I love seeing a woman able to have her own agency in a relationship and in her life as a whole. Like the decisions she makes to not just to end her life, you know, by driving in front of the fateful white truck, but even thinking back to when she runs away to the ski resort, once she learns the truth as to what will happen when she pulls the sword out, that it will end Kim Shin's existence, that she leaves because she doesn't want to do that. Nobody's going to force her to do that kind of thing. And in the end, she doesn't have to do it, right? It is Kim Shin who pulls the sword out just because her hand is on it. So nobody made her do anything that she didn't want to do. And she triumphed over a lot of hardship. And so that is what I connected with, was seeing somebody who was put in so many different 
horrible positions kind of come out on top. And I like that when the woman isn't just thrown in there as a victim to be a victim, but she is definitely triumphant in the end. So I'm going to go with Sunny, and I don't think I'm like Sunny, but I think I wish I was. And maybe that's why she resonated with me so much. I want to be her friend, first of all, but she stood up to everyone she met. I loved how no one could push her around. Even when she was faced with Kim Shin and the Reaper, she wasn't scared of them when they came barreling into her restaurant. And I would be a little scared, these two like large men who look angry. or And she just took it in stride. And so she could be prickly, but she was also very loyal to those closest to her, including her part-timer, which was Jiun Tak, who worked for her. And I think my favorite thing that Sunny did was, so at the end, Sunny did remember everything. She had all her memories. She did not forget, despite Grim Reaper trying to make her forget. So when adult Jiun Tak did forget all her memories, Sunny saw her move into her building and Sunny befriended her. Because she knew that Giantac needed someone. And I can't imagine how hard that was for Sunny. I bet Sunny would have probably been happier if she just left and kind of started over somewhere. But she didn't. She stayed next to Giantac and was there for her. And that just really, really captured my heart. Yeah, I think if I... Like overall, I would probably go with Sunny, but, you know, just to put a different spin on it, I'm going to go with Sunny as the Goryeo princess or, you know, her past life. You know, she seemed just so joyful and you know if you're in type of like that first life wonderment i felt like you know the goryeo princess had that like the kim sun personality but i also liked that in how she approached her death i thought she was at least as brave as her brother which is saying a lot because kim shin you know was such a badass and so i felt like she went to her doom kind of eyes wide open and yeah i don't know i just thought that she was she was really awesome but in kind of like a very like feminine gentle way just completely a badass. And then Sam Shin, I'm going to give a shout out to just because no one else did. And she didn't like resonate with me on the fact that like, I'm not an immortal goddess, but I really liked how, you know, again, like going back to like that Cinderella thing, like she kind of had a little bit of like the fairy godmother element, but like more of like coming at it from like being like, you know, a guardian angel goddess, her affinity for vegetables always spoke to me. Like who doesn't (laughs) want the cabbage on their birthday right after their mom dies and orphans them. (laughs) And also just a shout out to like the Sam Shin aesthetic. Personally speaking, I have always wanted to be able to pull off like long hair bangs with bright red lipstick. And I just cannot. And Sam Shin really could pull that look off. So gorgeous. Yeah, she was gorgeous. I absolutely 100% agree with that. I wish I could pull that look off with the red suit. Ugh. Ugh, so good. So Guardian, the lonely and great God gave us Reaper and Goblin, one of the greatest bromances of all time. So we're at the point of the show where we're going to do a romance novel book wreck. And this week's theme is what is a romance novel that comes with a great bromance? I'm going back to my YA roots again, because this is one that actually came up recently. I brought this up to Leah when we were watching Boys Over Flowers, and I'll make that connection as I kind of get into it. But my favorite bromance series, it's a series, and it's the Infernal Devices series by Cassandra Clare. It's historical dark fantasy with kind of a steampunk vibe, and it has one of my favorite bromances between the two male leads, Will and Jem, who are both in love with the heroine, Tessa. And I don't want to give anything in this series away because there's a lot and I don't want to spoil anything. My daughter just read it. She loved it. She cried just like I did. I'm telling you, it's it's worth it whether you're 15 or 
<laughs> my age. <laughs> but anyway, it's been one of my favorite fantasy series for the past 10 years. And it has every kind of being you can think of in it. Vampires, werewolves, warlocks, demons, shadow hunters, and even a few humans. And while I'm not usually a fan of love triangles, this one was dealt with in such a devastatingly wonderful way that I tell everybody who doesn't like love triangles that you will like love triangles if you read this series. Maybe this will be the only love triangle that you approve of and I would be okay with that. So yeah, I love it. And the bromance with Will and Jem reminds me of Junpyo and Jihoo from Boys Over Flowers to the extent that after I watched Boys Over Flowers, I did a deep dive onto Twitter to see if Cassandra Clare based her series on Boys Over Flowers because that's how strongly of a Junpyo Jihoo vibe I got from Will and Jem. And it looks like from what I found, yes, she has watched Boys Over Flowers, but not until after she wrote this series. So that kind of makes me happy that I made that connection and a little tiny bit bummed that she wasn't totally fanficking Boys Over Flowers because I thought that would be a really fun thing to do. But I love that she's seen it. I love that she wrote these two characters that reminded me of this drama when I watched it over a decade later. And yeah, a fantastic bromance between a total, total broody, sort of messed up, dark past hero in Will, which was like June Pio, and then the sort of sweet, musical, soft-spoken, but still a bit of a dark past hero in Jem, who was, for me, like Jihoo. So I know I recently recommended a J.R. Ward book, but I have to talk about my absolute favorite bromance of all time, Butch and Vicious from her Black Dagger Brotherhood series. Their friendship is mostly in Lover Revealed and Lover Unbound. One is a human ex-homicide cop and the other is a closed off, destructive and clairvoyant vampire. They live together, fight together, and really they should have just ended up together. The amount of fan fiction about them is astounding. And to this day, whenever anyone says bromance, I think of Butch and Vicious. And for me, I went YA fantasy this time with uh, Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Maas. We have Resander, who is one of my favorite fictional characters, and he is the High Lord of the Feared Night Court. And he just has this like really incredible bromance with kind of like his right hand men, I suppose, Azrael and Cassian. They all have big black leathery wings. They all fight a lot. They're all super hot. They're all immortal. It's just like tick, 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 and tick. So that about sums up our goblin deep dive. For our next episode, we're going to be talking about Tale of the Nine-Tailed, which was our first buddy watch. And we're not doing so much a deep dive as we are doing some top nines of Tale of the Nine-Tailed because doesn't that just fit? So please remember to follow us on Instagram at Afternoon and Delight Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe. And also please leave us a review and help our brand new podcast get noticed. And that's it, folks. We will see you next time. So for now, let's all say Annyeong! Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong! Annyeong!